I remember her coming one night. I was in the bath and I had a candle lit and she came in to the bathroom. It was like I could have touched her. She was in her white nightgown. She sat on the side of the bath and her black cat came in and he just walked between her legs and she would pick him up and pat him. She was very real, very, very real. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of sacred journeys, spirit encounters, near-death experiences, angels, mysteries, marvels and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary people reveal their extraordinary encounters. I acknowledge the Darawal people who are the traditional custodians of the land of Sutherland Shire in Australia, where I live and record Spirit Sisters, and I recognise their continuing connection to lands, waters and community. I pay respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders past, present and emerging. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. Thank you for tuning in. I have something a little different today. The first conversation in a mini-series I'm calling Psychic September. Throughout the month of September, I'm bringing you conversations with a diverse group of psychic mediums. Before we launch into the series, I'd like to point out that this is about sharing the life experiences of psychic mediums. I'm not endorsing their businesses as I haven't actually had readings with any of them. So I leave all of that up to you. But as always, this is all about speaking from the heart as we share our stories. We're starting today with Kate Lowe, who lives in Victoria in Australia. Kate had a thriving career in PR and marketing, but her soul always called her to live her spiritual truth. During COVID, she channeled an idea to support children learning at home, and its success gave her the impetus to launch out on her own, finally doing the work that she loves, being a psychic medium, doing it full-time on her terms. As she says, I just decided that I wanted to be me. I wanted to be all of me. I think that's a really powerful message and it's one that we we really can't hear enough of. Today, Kate shares the astounding story of Amelia, a spirit child who reached out to her in a dream and that proved to be just the beginning of an extraordinary sequence of events as you're about to hear from Kate. Please note that this episode references sexual assault. If you need support, please call 1-800-RESPECT in Australia. That's 1-800-737-732. If you're elsewhere in the world, please reach out to your appropriate local support services. And now, settle in as Kate Lowe tells us all about her life-changing encounter with a little spirit called Amelia. Hi, Kate. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Thank you, Karina. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the show and we've been planning this since you emailed me not too long ago about a ghost story and we, it's been a while actually since I've really, you know, uh, shared a ghost story through one of my guests on Spirit Sisters. So this is a little bit exciting and I know that our listeners do love this aspect of, um, of my work as well. So 
let's get into it. You've got a story about a little spirit called Amelia. Now, she played a key role in your spiritual unfoldment, which we'll go into later. But before we do, let's start with Amelia, how and when you came to meet and everything that happened. I first met Amelia, I was 28, just about to turn 29. I was very much in the Saturn return um, energy of my life. It had been, uh, I just experienced a a traumatic uh, experience personally and I was, uh, I'd just changed careers, I'd just started teaching and I was also looking to purchase my first home. So she sort of arrived at a very transitional point in my life where I was going from, in some ways, an adult child into um, a woman. And it was a seemingly inconsequential evening. I'd been out with some friends for dinner and I came home and went to bed and was having a perfectly normal dream about a beach just not far from my work where I would just go and pause and take in the day. And um, Amelia showed up, or more accurately, um, I felt a presence beside me and I then felt a hand uh, come in to my head. And she changed the setting of the dream. So the dream was current day of Sorrento Back Beach and I was looking at the the surf club that's still there in existence. And she switched it to the old uh, kiosk that was there originally built in the 1870s. And she also put in ice skaters and this ice skating rink. And I very clearly remember hearing that's better. And I sort of went along with this dream, but there was a little bit of a tussle of me trying to push back. And then I felt this presence literally step into my body. And I became very aware that my body didn't feel like my body anymore. It was very heavy. I was aware of the force that had happened. And at the time, I had a bedside light uh, that illuminated the whole room right right near where I was sleeping. And so I immediately hit the light. And I think actually turning on the light that quickly scared her even further into my body. And I was able to sit up, but I was very aware that I couldn't easily move my limbs. I was They were very heavy, weighed to the mattress, and I was ice cold. And, and I was almost having a conversation in my head of, is this real? Am I dreaming it? Am I awake? And I was trying to count backwards to sort of get a grip on my anxiety, but I couldn't raise my hands off the bed. And my dog at the time, Harvey, used to sleep in my room. And by that stage, he was sitting on the end of my bed, looking straight at me but not with any form of recognition or joy, just staring as if he was about to bark or growl, as if he was about to greet a stranger. This went on, it felt like, for a period of 10 minutes. It may not have been as long as that, but I was literally stuck in my body, unable to shift or move. And I remember slowly saying, 
something along the lines of I just need to get back in my body, I just need to be back in my body, whatever this is, can you go away? I'd only had one encounter similar to this earlier with my grandfather, but this was very new, but I did know enough to to ask this presence to leave. And slowly, literally from my toes up, my body started to tingle and the warmth immediately returned. It was very different to if you'd been cold outside. This was an immediate warmth returning to my body and it literally flowed from my toes up to my head and I suddenly was able to lift my arms off the bed and um, my parents were staying with me actually for that weekend and I turned on every single light between my bedroom and their bedroom and woke them up and told them what had happened. And interestingly, they weren't surprised at all. So that was my first encounter with Amelia. Well, there's a lot there and I think we need to uh, to really draw out some of those details because it, it's very fascinating because it's a dream which then flows into our your waking consciousness, your physical yes. life on the physical plane for you, Kate. So that's intriguing in itself. So yes. first of all, I remember you saying to me that the setting – so you've explained that it began as a dream set at this surf club. Then the setting changed and there was a yes. little girl. So you've named her as Amelia and that's how I introduced her as well. But I'm gathering that she didn't introduce herself in the dream saying I'm no. Amelia. So this is something no. that emerged later. So we'll, yes. we'll park that for the minute. But so in the dream you saw a little girl or like other people, I can't quite remember, but I remember what I remember you initially telling me, Kate, is that it, it seemed to be set sort of in the 1860s with dresses reminiscent of little women. I remember you yes. saying that. So tell yes. us a bit more about this dream and what you saw and experienced within the dream that then became something in your waking life. But just, yeah, let's hear yeah. more about the actual dream itself first. So... Uh, my dream that I was having was still, I always dreamt in colour then and it, w it was still colourful, but it was the modern day surf club that's built now and I was literally interacting with friends um, near the surf club and we were talking and, and watching the surf and then the colours became brighter and as she put her hand into my head, she changed the surf club back to what was called the um, amphitheatre in Sorrento and it was built by a man called George Coppen in the 1870s and it was there for a very long time. It changed into a kiosk but burnt down in the late 70s, early 1980s, sometime around then. Um, so I have a vague childhood recollection of it um, but... Yes, she, she literally put her hand in and swapped the buildings and it was as strange as that sounds. The, the building went from a modern-day surf club to this amphitheatre and then she put there an outdoor ice skating rink and everyone that was ice skating had clothes like little women. Um, this girl that I saw that I didn't recognise at the time as Amelia was standing there in a, a red velvet cape and she had blonde ringlets 
and all the women that were ice skating had similar capes and and their hair done in a similar fashion and it felt like a scene from Little Women or a movie like that and it was very beautiful and I got a sense even when she said oh that's better it was very much that this was her joy and she was trying to share it with me but also show me about something even at the time I felt like it was familiar to me it also lit a spark in me but not nothing I could place my hand on in this life I I've never been ice skating I've never seen an outdoor ice skating rink but it, it did feel very familiar and and beautiful to me as well so I, I think she was trying to communicate with Amelia, our relationship gently unfolded. And at the time, that that dream, yes, it felt foreign to me, but it was very much an introduction of that very much captured her personality, that she was all about what she loved and sharing those experiences. Okay, so we're going to get into that, how you came to know each other and how you came to understand that this wasn't just a a run-of-the-mill dream you'd had, that this was spirit communication, that this was your burgeoning mediumship. Yes. So <laughs> so we're going to talk about that. So it seems also that there is possibly a past life connection there, but I, if I'm not mistaken, Kate, she, she wasn't an Australian girl. So this wasn't a scene from an Australian life. Is that right? Yeah, it certainly wasn't a scene from an Australian life. Initially, I wasn't sure if uh, she had just seen this somewhere and, and wanted to experience it. It was only as I sort of dug in deeper to try and find out who this little girl was that I came to understand that it was, in fact, something she had done and experienced as a child. Um, mm. She had been ice skating. So, yes, I she never confirmed it in words, but when I was able to sort of track down a bit more about Amelia, it was that she grew up in the United States and that the river that passed through her property on her house would freeze over and she would ice skate on that. How intriguing. So let's talk a bit about what she attempted to do or she did, she got into your body momentarily anyway until you asserted yes. some boundaries and then she left. So yes. what did you make of that? Had you ever had an experience like that before? I'd never had anybody enter my body before. I had had presences come to me, um, but as I said, only family. But Amelia was the first and still to this date the only one that had entered my body and I still feel that it was by accident it was very much an innocence on her behalf and not quite understanding what she was doing right and um and, and I felt yeah that it was accidental less on purpose that she could do it and she just yeah she just sort of did it accidentally Okay, so you saw this little girl in your dream. How old do you think she looked? She would. She was definitely no older than 10. She told me at the time she was seven. In your dream at the time? Not that dream, no, no. Uh, um, at the dream, that dream was only what happened then with the ice skating. It was 
in subsequent visits from her that I learnt that she was seven. Okay, let's talk about that. So we know that you woke up, you were you were scared, your dog was alarmed as well for a minute yes. there because it wasn't you, which is fascinating. And then how did it unfold that you continued to dream about her and get to know her? What was the next thing that happened? Interestingly, I actually began a search to try and get rid of her. So I did not want her to come to me again. So I actually, through trying to get rid of her, I actually got to know her. I contacted a number of psychics and um, people that had worked with uh, spirits before. The first person I met with, she just she really couldn't help me in moving Amelia on. She just said, you can put parameters around the way she interacts with you, uh, which was helpful. So that's what I did because she no, that was the only time she uh, came to me in my dream. After that, she would just come to me whenever she felt like it, day or night. And what did that um, look like when she did that? It was a whole range of things. She was visible to me. I very clearly saw her. She would often come in um, a beautiful white dress, uh, like a little sort of pinafore-style dress, and sometimes leather boots and sometimes barefoot and in her little white uh, white nightgowns. She would bring her cat with her, which I used to sneeze at the cat before I could even see her. And she was um, a big mischief when it came to if I'd bought any new things that were at all girly. So she would try on my jewellery and move it, move my hairbrushes and all sorts of move vases. She was big into moving things around the house. She was very childlike in mm. her behaviour, completely innocent, a beautiful, loving nature, very much wanted to be my friend but was yet yeah, very childlike in the way she behaved, obviously, because she was a child. So the parameters from the first person that I sought help from was very beneficial because there would be days when I would have to say to her, can you please just not move my things around? Can you just leave them where they are or, or that sort of thing? But okay. it did. I, I didn't stop trying to get rid of her for quite some time. <laughs> um, the most helpful thing was uh, I ended up, meeting with a woman I knew who'd completed a Reiki course and just doing a Reiki, completely nothing to do with this. She and I both had exactly the same vision of Amelia and her farm and the river freezing over and her ice skating on it. Okay, let's hear about that. So how long had you been sensing and seeing Amelia prior to this Reiki session? Um, it would have been at least six to eight months by that stage. And I would interact with her most days. We'd got to know each other. I had asked her name uh, by that stage and she said to me, my name's Amelia, but call me Millie. And she was very insistent that I was not to call her Amelia, only to call her Millie. So, um, mm -hmm. so I did. And, um, yes, yeah, so the Reiki session, I went just for relaxation purposes and it was at the end of the session I started telling this woman 
what I'd seen and she had exactly the same vision. So we had this beautiful farm property and it was, they were showing me that it was sort of, it was winter and there weren't any leaves on the trees and it was just this little sort of farm cottage with a river or a creek running beside the property, not far from the property, with a tree on the other side of that and it would freeze over and Amelia along with her siblings would would skate on this section of the of the river and it was actually where Amelia drowned so she drowned and, how yeah. did you find that out in this vision at Reiki? In, in this vision yes did you we see it both, happen yeah we were both shown how it happened and that we were both shown that I was actually her sister and I had put out my hand to try and save her, but she was swept away and um, and she drowned. Was and, that yeah, a hole that was created in the ice was, or was it in summertime? That, that, that was a different, a different season. Okay. So, so, yes, she had shown me the ice part, but when we asked, well, we didn't really, I, I asked during the Reiki session, but the other woman didn't ask. She was just shown it because I was like, how, how did you leave? You know, what happened? And then she showed me that the river was really flowing at that time and we were crossing with a, with a brother. Uh, we were crossing the river across um, some rocks that we'd climbed across many, many times before and she was ahead of us and she slipped. I tried to grab her and... and our brother had run back to get help from the house, but by the time the help had come, she was gone. Oh, bless her. So it's interesting that you went along to this Reiki session just really in search of relaxation. From what I'm hearing, Kate, it's not like you went to try and get resolution or understanding, but these, this vision emerged. Hey, absolutely, yes, okay. yeah. By that stage, I'd sort of phoned around as many people as possible to get a resolution and hadn't and just thought, I'll, I'll live with it. And that's how it came up. So what was beautiful about this vision is it opened that opportunity up for me to go and I would go and sit with this woman and we would speak to Amelia and investigate her story a bit more. In sort of mediumship sessions with, with yes, Amelia. Yes, yeah, it was, yes, yes. Okay. It's it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? So from the sounds of it, Amelia was, and I've heard of this before, I've interviewed other mediums who've shared stories like this, that, so Amelia was kind of stuck in between two worlds. Is that right? So she was, she hadn't really moved on? Well, she told me that she was here for me. She was here to welcome in my family. Oh, okay, okay. And oh, so she wasn't so, really reaching out for help. She was wanting to help you. Yes. Oh, that's yes. a good twist. <laughs> so she stayed with me until I actually, about a month before I fell pregnant with my first child. So, ah. um, yes, she was with me quite a long time but she was the one who said you you're going to marry very quickly and then and and have a child and yeah she said I was I'm here for you she actually told me she would be my first child so and interestingly my son uh, I have two boys and my eldest son is blonde blue-eyed like she is and his name's William and I have always called him Willie which 
it was only after sort of 12, uh, 12 to 18 months of him being born that I thought, I wonder if it's that resonance, you know, of Millie and then Willie, whether it is in fact her back here as my son. What do you make of that idea or what did you make of it at, at the time as the mother, first-time mother of a toddler? I mean, there's enough that we have to deal with, isn't there? <laughs> I, I absolutely believed it to be true. Uh, there was not one part of me that thought that I was making it up or that she wasn't telling me the truth. And even from the first dream, there was, although I was frightened of what was happening, I wasn't frightened of her. It was what was happening to me that was causing me distress rather than her. Her energy was always very familiar and very comforting. And, yes, so I, I believe that, that she could well be incarnated now as my, as my eldest son. And prior to this, did you have any fascination with past lives and that kind of theme or idea? Yes, yes. I had even from when I was very small, I would say that I used to tell my father that I'd been here before. I knew from a very young age that I had been here before, that people came back, and I even vividly remember in primary school being in about grade two and wishing that I would hurry up and grow up because I felt like an adult stuck in a child's body. So, yes, I, I had always been curious. I hadn't, it was really only after Amelia that I started to delve into it more fully because, as I said, my experiences prior to that had just been with family that had passed. Yes. Whereas Amelia wasn't recognisable instantly to me. Do you want to share a little bit about your experiences with family that happened prior to Amelia? My grandparents died very suddenly um, when I was very young, when I was two or two and a half. And, um, and my first experience was I used to talk to my cat, believing that my grandfather was in my cat. So I would speak to my cat, but thinking I was speaking to my grandfather. So that was very, I was about five or six when I would do that. And I did that for a very long time, a number of years. But it was when I moved to Sorrento, which uh, was meant to be their forever home, but they died before moving into it, that I was actually, again, woken from my sleep to this man's face that I didn't recognise as him because he died when I was so young and we didn't have photos around of him or anything like that. And um, yeah, this man had very circular glasses on and he smiled at me and he said, I'm glad you're here. I phoned my father the next day and said, this man appeared and I was frightened and, you know, he had round glasses and he said, that's my dad, that's your grandpa. And it was the round glasses that um, was the pointer for him. And so my grandfather had appeared a lot after that um, and that was probably about five to six years before Amelia appeared. Okay. So would you but, um, see him sort of looking like a flesh and blood person or was it more of a shadowy, transparent 
no, flesh, and, flesh and blood, but oh. only ever from his shoulders up. Okay, yes, I've heard of that too, yeah. Yes, well, he actually, he has since told me in recent years, he took his life, my grandfather, and he says that he doesn't want me to see below that. He doesn't want me to see mm. the damaged part of him. He just wants me to see, you know, from how how he wants me to remember him. Mm. What does that lead you to think, Kate, about where, you know, in terms of the spiritual world, where your grandfather is dwelling, what stage he's at? He is most definitely my guide. Okay. And um, even when I work daily with clients, I always include him in my prayer, thanking my guides and my grandpa. He was when I, I was in a car accident when I was 17 and I heard his voice say to me, sit in the back seat. So he's always been my guide and I believe that that is his his um, spiritual journey at the moment to be with me and to walk with me. I think it gives him great peace. I think it spiritually it's healing a part of him that was broken when he was here on earth. And I think it's a way for him to feel that he's still performing his duty in many ways of being, you know, my grandfather. And what about Amelia? Is she also a spirit guide? Amelia has gone as a spirit. And I do believe it's because she's incarnated into my son. Her spirit energy is there. I have not seen her physically nor had any messages from her since William was born. How long ago was that? So that's now 15 years. Okay. So, And she was with me daily for nearly three years. That's a long time, isn't it? Let's, I know. Let's just give the audience a bit more of an idea of what that was like to have a spirit child with you almost daily for almost three years. So you mentioned that you know, you would sense her in various ways that she would move your items around and so you got a real sense of her personality, which was very feminine. Also, you said that you would see her and she'd be wearing different things and sometimes barefoot. Could you share an example, a story from your memory of a time when when you saw her and how you saw her, whether she did look just like a flesh and blood little girl or whether she was more of this transparent, I ask because I know that um, the audience would love to know those details. Yes. She she was always very vivid to me, very, very vivid. Transparent in the sense that perhaps I could see the background behind her. I remember her coming one night. I was in the bath. I used to have baths a lot, and I had a candle lit, and she came in to the bathroom. It was like I could have touched her. She was in her white nightgown. She sat on the side of the bath and her black cat came in and he just walked between her legs and she would pick him up and pat him. She was very real, very, very real. And there were moments like that where she was just blissful to be around and she didn't demand anything of me. She was just happy to be in my presence. But there were other times when she was tiring. She asked a lot of questions she spoke at, you know, 900 mile an hour. She was like a child. She would come to me uh, sometimes at night when I was trying to go to sleep and she'd just want to talk about the day. And I would have to say to her, I can't now, you've got to let me go to sleep. 
Was so, that a telepathic yes. exchange? Yes, a telepathic exchange. Sometimes it would be that I would feel her push me and then I would just get this complete download of what she was saying. Mm. Other times it was as if she was sitting there talking to me. Yeah, she was extraordinary. I even remember one day driving to Melbourne and her just asking me all these questions about why I wasn't going to do what she wanted to do when we were in Melbourne. You know, I'd like to go and see the zoo and I'd like to do this. She was busy. She was really busy. (laughs) Did you ever hear her audible voice? Often, often. Would it just sound like a, a little girl in the room talking? Yes, exactly like a little girl in the room talking. And very, she was very polite yeah, and very polite and very well spoken, but yet yeah, was also demanding. She, you know, she was, excuse me, Katie, I really need you to tell me now. And, and then she would just ask me a series of questions. And then other times, as I said, she was just blissfully quiet and content to be in my presence. But, um, it's yeah, astounding. Was, it's such an astounding story. I know. Yeah. And, and in many ways, she was. <laughs> the most exhausting encounter (laughs) because because it was just, it was daily and it was, it would take you by, you know, you would wake up one morning and all your things were in a different spot and they weren't, they weren't, you know, sort of thrown around the house, but that, you know, there would be a sense of having to put the room back the way you needed needed it to be. Mm. Or the next day she'd want to talk to you a lot or she'd wake me up a lot during the night or things like that. Mm. So when she left, it was a bit of a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. And so I wonder if you went to any lengths to research her story, you know, in our world using the internet, I don't know if she gave you her surname, you know, what did you find out in terms of the details of her physical life here, if anything, if you were able to find out anything? And have you ever thought of trying to visit where she lived and go and delve a bit deeper? Yeah, I, I did try and pinpoint where she was, but Again, um, because of her age, she wasn't able to even give me a lot of that detail herself. There there weren't any adult responses, you know, with regards to where she lived. I I knew she lived in America. I knew it was country. She told me that it was, uh, it began with the letter A. But other than that, she wasn't able to, yes, really give me very many details, not compared to other spirits that I've since encountered that can, you know, as adults. In the course of your work. Yes, yes. Okay. Give me more information. But she was very, like asking a a seven-year-old child, they're not often able to tell you their address or or where they live, that Mm. sort of thing. So, yeah, so sadly the story was sort of only ever left with, you know, the image of her house on the farm and the river and, and that was as much as I could ever get. And then... You know, as I said, I was able to find out that the amphitheatre in Sorrento was built around the 1870s and Little Women was from the 18... uh, between, I think, 60s and 80s. So, you know, my feeling was always that that's when she was alive. Right, I see. I see. So, therefore, that's why you dreamt of that particular surf club because it began... Yeah, right, I understand. Yes, yes. It was a clue. 
Yes, yeah. that was her clue. That yeah. was what was familiar to her. But other than that, I've not been ever able to find out anything else okay. about her. So not her surname, Kate. She didn't tell you that. No. Right. No. Okay. So we know a, a bit more about Millie now. Now, something interesting that you mentioned and. I've looked into this before and in my books, I remember in Spirit Sisters actually there was a whole chapter about what can actually trigger the advent of a psychic gift or the gifts of mediumship, although, you know, obviously gifts isn't always the right way to describe it, but trauma and um, a crisis of some kind is often a predecessor of an encounter such as the one you've described. And that was the case with you, I think. You hinted earlier, Kate, and I hope it's okay to ask about this. You, you did say that you'd been through something. Yes, yes. At, um, at 28, I was, uh, was the victim of a sexual trauma um, and a sexual assault, and it was in many ways I sought a spiritual resolution to something that most people don't. So I don't, uh, even though I'd had an inkling of spiritual gifts, that's really the way I decided and chose to heal myself from that mm. situation. So I, I wanted to understand why I'd called that experience to me, um, what it was trying to teach me and um, how I could use that positively to move forward. So that's kind of in the space where I was in that time, you know, um, there'd been that. I'd split up from my boyfriend at the time and I was, yes, I was looking to sort of move my life forward in a more, yeah, in a strengthened way mm. and, and a more connected way, I suppose. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you for your, your candour there, Kate. And I've interviewed, you're not the first woman I've interviewed who has experienced, endured such a thing and then had very profound psychic experiences afterward and yes. and just in a broader sense trauma and uh, grief is another portal to these experiences as well so it's it's a very interesting connection isn't it I, yeah. I think it, yes yeah and that's what I felt at the time like I felt I remember telling a friend of mine I think this is going to be one of the best things that's ever happened to me and she said what a stupid thing to say. But it felt like it was pointing me in the direction which I needed to go. And even though it took me a bit longer to get there, it felt like it was repositioning me somehow to, um, to understand myself on a deeper level. I, I didn't ever have that why me mindset about it. It was very much of, okay, well, let's look at why... I've been chosen to have this journey. There's got to be a deeper meaning to it. So, um, so we'll talk. Yeah. We'll talk now about your your transition into the spiritual, you know, life full time. Yes. But before we do that, I just and before we close that that loop there on the trauma, have you since gone on to support women who've experienced, you know, trauma, sexual assault? I, I did attempt it for um, a short while, but I did find that my way of seeing and theirs often were in conflict and that it just didn't feel 
right for me in that way. I, I have since more recently, but you know, in my new line of work, but at the time I very much wanted to just be a trauma-based counsellor and it just didn't feel right. It felt that there was a lot of heavy, dark energy around it and that that wasn't where I was meant to be. That makes sense because I, I guess I didn't express my question properly, I don't think, but I was talking about the ladies you help now within oh, your okay. spiritual work yeah yes, whether yes. you've you've you know come to understand that having gone through that has served you to be able to serve these women absolutely absolutely and it has been the women that have come to see me now in the spiritual work are looking at life through the same lens it's been so deeply rewarding for me but also really powerfully healing for them it's it's been really really amazing a very beautiful journey and it's been a, quite the journey because another piece to your story is that you had a very successful and long career in PR and marketing and yes. it's only re quite recently actually that you've stepped away from that to uh, dedicate yourself to being a psychic medium full-time tell us about yes. that move and you know the courage it took to to step into that I hadn't intended to make the change at all. I was very much still focused on PR and marketing and building my business and working with bigger brands. And then um, we had the COVID lockdown. And uh, being in Victoria, we were locked down more than other states. And um, I was still very busy the first year. And what happened was... I often used to channel messages whilst being in PR and marketing, particularly concepts and, and ideas. And I was never open or honest about where these ideas came from. I would just simply say, you, this is what we've got to do and this is how we've got to do it. And I'd had success doing it that way. During this lockdown, I again channeled an idea about uh, a television programming to support students that were working from home and to support teachers and I wrote my idea down and sent it into the ABC and they ended up picking up the idea and running it for about 12 months and at that point I thought right you can't continue to work like this you've really compartmentalized yourself you you get these amazing ideas just delivered to you but you pretend that you've spent hours sweating them out <laughs> on some sort of drawing board. And, um, and I just decided that I really wanted to be me. I, I wanted to be all of me. I wanted to be honest about where these ideas came from. So that night I outed myself on Facebook and wrote a post to all my friends and business associates and everybody and said, this is who I am. I've always received messages. I've done some readings for some of you that have known me a long time, but this is who I am and this is how I'm moving forward with my life. And I decided that the people that were going to support me would be happy for me and this was a great way to get rid of any dead wood mm. <laughs> that might hold me back. And I, was, I, I decided I wanted to do it in one swoop like that. It's very and brave to step out of the spiritual closet in, in one fell swoop, as you say, like that. Yes. Yeah, well, it just felt 
right. And it felt, it really did feel like I wanted to take a breath and fill my lungs with who I actually am and to claim this whole part of my life that exists. But I've kept secret mostly no. yeah, the whole time. And, and it literally was life-changing. That night I was contacted by a very old friend who said, I had no idea you can do this. Can I speak to you? When can I have a reading? And he came to me two days later and I haven't stopped working since. And that's not quite a year. That's August um, in 2021. It's very recent. It's very yes. recent. So I guess that, you know, the very fact that it's flowed so smoothly and uh, and it feels so right and you're getting the clients and people are responding positively, that all tells you, I would I would say, Kate, is that right, that you made the right decision? With, without doubt, yeah. without doubt. None of – I've been a, an entrepreneur for many years, largely because of where I work in a, in a, a small town which hasn't always sustained – long-term employment so I've always been a bit self-sufficient but I've never had anything flow like this has flowed and I've also never felt the way I feel now I always felt a little bit like a fraud even though I had the university degrees and the education to back it up I always felt like I was slightly an imposter and I don't feel that way now at all yeah it literally is like all the cliches I'm happy to go to work every day. It's been a wonderfully transformative experience. And and looking back on my life now, I can see how like Amelia fits in and even the visitation from my grandfather. I see how all the dots join together now to have brought me to this point. It's such it's, an empowering message that you are offering us today, which is I just wanted to be me, you know. And I think I love that. I once had this, I sometimes write some poems in the morning and I once had a poem come through or a prayer, a poem prayer, and it yeah. was, dear God, just help me be me. Yeah, beautiful. And so I understand yeah. what you're saying and it's so lovely that you did have the support of the spirit world. And I guess that's part of your message too, that we all do have this support from the spirit world to step into what is true for us. Absolutely, all the time. In some ways, and I have had moments of looking back and thinking, oh, if only I'd done this sooner. But at the same time, I know that it was all leading me till to now and that we, we do all have this beautiful spiritual guidance around us. And it's really just about having enough courage within ourselves to listen to it and to follow it through. And that's my biggest lesson is I realised I had to get to the point in my life where I had enough self-worth that I was prepared to listen to my inner compass and the guidance that I was being given rather than the external voices. And the moment I had enough self-worth to do that, everything changed. That's an interesting connection you've made between self-worth, self-esteem and following our intuition. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I had, uh, and this is probably a bit of a mean example, but on the day that I came home from my honeymoon, I heard a voice that said, you will be married for seven years and then there will be someone else who will last a lifetime. And I was married seven years to the day. 
And I knew the day I was walking down the aisle that I shouldn't have been getting married. But I did not have the self-worth to listen to that voice. I was going to make that work whether, you know, come hell or high yes. water sort of thing. And, and a lot of us do that. We stay in jobs because that's what we think we should do or marriages or, you know, all sorts of things. But when you've got enough self-worth, you can say, actually, I know there's something better out there for me. And it, so it took me, you know, to have that self-worth, to, to step out and think, well, I actually don't care if someone thinks being a psychic is crazy and I, I don't care if they, you know, talk behind my back. I really do. I am not at all bothered by it. I, I'm proud of it. I'm really proud of it. It's a wonderful message. And you mentioned also compartmentalising and I think so many of us who are listening will relate to that as well and the whole idea of being in the spiritual closet and certainly I can compartmentalising my life in the past in years you know this is my passion having these conversations but you know it's not something that I would talk openly about. I'd love to, to understand more about that in in the context of the spiritual experiences that you were having throughout your life as you were running this, you know, career in PR and marketing, very mainstream uh, yes. world. So there's one story in particular you told me, and I'd love to know when this actually happened. You began channeling, Kate, and you, you channeled some ancient scriptural text, not that you knew what it was at the time, but then tell us about how you found out exactly what this was and what was happening. Yes, well, that yeah, that's sort of a recent about the last 18 months. Oh, okay. It just came to me one day I was sitting in um, meditation and then I, I was on my way to pick my children up from school and suddenly I heard this voice that said, Uwashta, and I thought, Uwashta, and they just kept saying, Uwashta, and then they, I proceeded to channel all these words that I did not understand and I was trying to speak them into my phone so I could Google them later. And then it, after a lot of searching, it came up as an ancient Peruvian scripture that I had no knowledge of. Yeah, again, it's part trust with going with these, these things that I, I channeled, but I still am yet to understand that fully. I've dug in deeply into the background of it. She actually, they actually, the woman that comes to me when Wooshta is being spoken about appeared to me again just a few months ago. And I have a feeling it's to do with money. It's to do with the currency and it's profitable. Let me know if I've got this wrong. But I had written down that it was an ancient Persian language. Now, did I get that wrong? No, this is the this is the trickiness about it, is that it's Persian, there is Indian, Hindi, and oh, there's a third one too. But it's not Peruvian? And Peruvian. It's common amongst all three. And I was actually doing further research in preparation for the podcast to see if I could get some clarity on it. And it seems to be linked across these three cultures. So could so, you spell that word out for me, please? Well, I spell it, I've spelt it lots of different ways, but it's actually spelt U-W-U-S-H-T-A. 
interestingly, if you divide it up into consonants, so if I do it as double O, W S H T A, it comes up as a Native American name for bright. How extraordinary. So, um, so this is still unfolding. You're still learning about the still, meaning. Still, yeah. Yes, yes. And you said there's a woman who brings it to you. She's beautiful. She's absolutely beautiful. And and this was also um, where it becomes tricky because she looks like an ancient Persian woman, but she could also be Native American. So she has long black braids. She wears gold around her forehead with some kind of little emblem or token around the braid. And then she has a very decorative and ornate necklace on. And have you seen her in the same way that you would see Amelia? Yes. Interestingly, I see nearly all the guides that come to me in physical form like this. Even my guides have appeared to me in physical form. It's all amazing and, you know, it's it's very heartening to hear about you having had the courage to transform your life and step into a life that suits you and your, your passions better. So tell us on that note, Kate, what is it that is igniting you today? What is it that's inspiring you, lighting you up? Honestly, my work. I now work as a psychic medium. I do readings. Um, I do offer business readings but mostly um, guidance readings. I'm less about predictions, although I am able to see the future. I am able to see the core wounds in people and um, when they manifested and what needs to be done to heal them. And I have sort of explored over the last few months different things within my work but I keep being called back to just doing the readings like not to tweak it too much and um, it's literally it brings me such joy and already I'm experiencing people coming back to me which is lovely yeah it's just been it's just a beautiful experience and and Daily I'm learning more about myself through them and I'm deepening my spiritual awareness and, and journey. So that's really lovely. And even getting to know my own guides and, and working more with them. Mm. Sometimes I feel a bit neglectful because I don't sit with them necessarily every day, but it really is just such an exquisite blessing to know that I can do this all day every day. It's not the treat that I used to allow myself at the end of my other work. This is now my work. You're just and, being um, you. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And how can people get in touch with you, Kate? I have a website which is spiritualbusiness.com.au and I am also on Instagram which is underscore spiritualbusiness. But, yes, it's I'm here and... <laughs> And ready. <laughs> Fantastic. Is there any final inspiring message that you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I would like to say this one thing about what has happened with me stepping into my truth and living fully expressed as who I am, no longer compartmentalised, is it's actually given permission for the people that I love closest to me to do exactly the same. And 
you know, I've had close friends that have, you know, one's started writing a book she's always talked about and, you know, another's gone after and is building a new business. And even within my own family, my brother and my children, it really has changed their outlook by watching me step into this. You know, it's it's given them permission to to try. So I think that has been one of the most unexpected but beautiful aspects of of having done this work. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I love that message. Just today, actually, I was listening to a podcast and the person said, you know, it's not about what you do, it's about being you. And that is enough to inspire the people around you. So that's a nice yeah. little instance of synchronicity. You've just echoed that. Yes. It's a very beautiful message, you know, that yeah. we uplift each other just by being ourselves. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and when you do it, you can actually see how the world could become a better place. Yes. If, if that chain reaction just kept going. So that's the core essence of my work really is to just allow people to see what's possible within them. That's a beautiful message to close our conversation on today. Thank you so much, Kate, for spending time with us today on Spirit Sisters. It's been a delight. Thank you, Karina. It's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters. If you enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review the show. Have an experience you'd like to share with me? Get in touch at my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story.